Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Our guest today is five-time Grammy nominee and multi-platinum selling country star Hunter Hayes. Hunter was the youngest solo male artist to top the Hot Country Songs chart in 2012. He plays more than 30 instruments and has been writing his own songs since junior high. Hunter discusses his path as a singer-songwriter, the hard questions he asks God through his music, and how, despite his monumental success at such a young age, he deals with feelings of not being good enough. My name is Hunter Hayes. I am a 26-year-old music nerd. And, uh, yeah, just a guy who loves to create music and make noise. And uh, I've been living here in Nashville for about 10 years now, which is nuts. I moved to my dream city, and I get to, and I get to do my dream job. I started making noise when I was around four. Yeah, <laughs> um, my grandmother gave me a toy accordion when I was two, I think. I don't remember, obviously. <laughs> I've I've heard the story enough times that I I can kind of recite it. But um, she gave me a toy accordion when I was two, and I just started taking it everywhere. My dad actually bought a few extras to fix the one that I had that I wouldn't let go of. <laughs> and every time I would break it, he'd pull parts off another one. Uh, there's still kind of like a collection in the garage back home. Um, but yeah, it started with accordion, and then it was drums, and then it was electric guitar, and then that was kind of it after that. Like it was, I was stuck to the electric guitar and and uh, found songwriting when I was in middle school. Um, technically wrote my first song when I was six years old, but don't look that up, it's a bad idea. Um, yeah, I found songwriting in middle school, and I think that was the best time to find it because I needed it the most then. I think we can all speak to the fact that in middle school, um, you need an outlet. <laughs> you need a place to go. Um, and uh, that's actually probably the time in my life where I was closest to the Bible and <laughs> closest to my faith. Um, I found it through um, through the loneliness and through all of the things that I was going through. and. I was a quiet, I am, a quiet, shy, typically to myself, recluse, only child, <laughs> and um, and songwriting was kind of, yeah, I was the only place that I could go to feel safe. I think that's kind of what kind of slingshot me into what I do now, is that middle school era, you know, as I, I feel like a lot of us go through that. Um, those big life changes, those big emotional roller coasters. Um, it, it, it brought me into kind of, yeah, kind of the, the, the process that I have now, songwriting and, and whatnot. I think the first record that changed my life, like when I really started studying music, which was around like that middle school time, um, the first record that really changed my life and like awoke me <laughs> um, was Mercy Me Coming Up to Breathe. I saw them at the First Baptist Church in Laf- Lafayette with a friend of mine, I don't know if you've heard that record, but it's a very, it's a left turn from what from I can only imagine, which was three records earlier, which not a lot of people realize. But um, that record was a was a was a very aggressive record. Very, I needed that record though. I needed coming up to breathe, so long self, Jesus take, uh, um, bring the rain. But that record, I was, it was so honestly like so heavy and so intense that it pushed me away and I had to go searching for it. I had to go and and find it and listen to it and study it. I went from a Catholic private school to a non-denominational private school. 
and growing up in a Catholic, relatively conservative family, going to a non-denominational school was challenging because <clears throat> it challenged my beliefs and my family's beliefs and it forced me to find my own path and have to support it and have to explain it well, not just for explanation's sake, um, but when somebody looks you in the eye and says, why do you believe that? You have to answer it honestly, and you have to know, not just believe, you have to know. I had to dive into my faith. Something I'd grown up with as, a, as an absolute was now a question mark, and I had to answer that question myself. <laughs> I was not the cool kid. I was the opposite. And I think, honestly, looking back, um, or I guess, looking forward, looking up to all the people that I look up to, they weren't the cool kids. You know, the people that have really changed the world and changed my life and influenced me the, the heaviest um, were the quiet ones um, who, who kind of found their, their, their path to their outlet and used their outlet in a powerful way um, and channeled all the things that they went through. Um, I, think, I think the quiet ones have the most to say. When people ask, like, well, who do you want to sing to? And I want to sing to me. Like, I want to talk about what I'm going through because it's not exclusive to artists. It's not exclusive to performers. It's my age group. We're getting out of college and we're defining ourselves as human beings, trying to define ourselves in a world that is full of highlight reels and questioning whether we're good enough. So you're now measuring yourself by somebody else's filter, which is a dangerous, dangerous weapon of a thing. This feeling of invisibility is not exclusive to teenagers it lasts a lifetime, and it is the upstream feeling of not good enough. It's that voice inside your head that screams at you on a daily basis, at least for me. <laughs> it's a continuous thing. One of my favorite shows I've ever had, three weeks ago, Milwaukee, Summerfest, uh, this pavilion that I thought we, there was no way we were gonna fill it. We filled it, right? Had the best show of my life. End up back on the bus, we celebrate for a minute, and then it's right back to that voice of, did you do good enough? And then that defines you as a human the more you listen to it. Hunter encourages others who also struggle with thoughts of not being good enough or who deal with wounds in their lives as he reads a passage from the October 28th entry of Jesus Calling. Do not expect to be treated fairly in this life. People will say and do hurtful things to you, things that you don't deserve. When someone mistreats you, try to view it as an opportunity to grow in grace. See how quickly you can forgive the one who has wounded you. Don't be concerned about setting the record straight. Instead of obsessing about other people's opinions of you, keep your focus on me. Ultimately, it is my view of you that counts. As you concentrate on relating to me, remember that I have clothed you in my righteousness and holiness. I see you attired in these radiant garments, which I bought for you with my blood. This also is not fair. It is pure gift. When others treat you unfairly, remember that my ways with you are much better than fair. My ways are peace and love, which I have poured out into your heart by my spirit. It is easy to get stuck on fair. Fair is the only way that we've been taught to justify things and, and um, the way that we're treated or the way that we treat ourselves. The way that we treat ourselves is not fair. We compare. I mean, the, the, I think the sermon that hit me the most in the last like three years um, was comparison. Um, we live by comparison. Comparison is the only way we can measure. 
we're gonna compare ourselves, then I mean, we're never gonna succeed. <laughs> we'll never be what we truly wanna be, um, even if it is the best version of ourselves, you know, our flawed selves that we compare ourselves with. Um, we'll never truly succeed. Hunter describes the path he took to write his latest single, Dear God. Dear God threw me for a loop. Dear God is like the therapy session tape you don't want people to hear, and then when people hear it, all of a sudden, I was scared of that song. <laughs> I was I was proud of it and scared of it. I started journaling on the plane. I started with Dear World, and I realized I was writing to God, and I thought, Dear God, that's the title. I felt like that was the beginning of the conversation I needed to have with him. So we were three writers that had never written before, and uh, I knew Andy, but Andy didn't know Dave. I didn't know Dave, so we were we were kind of strangers in a room, um, diving into this 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 voice inside our head saying we're not good enough. And we've played with different lines here and there. And he finished with "Dear God, are you sure that you don't mess up?" And I was like, we can't say that. Like that, that's not allowed. That's not okay. Um, but I realized it was important because I don't feel like it's a question you would ask unless you know the answer. And I feel like we all kind of know the answer already, but we need to ask it to hear it again. And why does my life have to hurt so much? Why can't I find any peace of love? And why do I feel like I'm not enough? Dear God, are you sure that you don't mess up? And I feel like the Lord gives us big questions so he can answer in a big way. And that's a big question, and I feel like sometimes he, no, I know that he's answered me in a big way, many times. Um, but not unless I ask, not unless I seek him. And so I was scared of a song that didn't have a resolve, and it doesn't have a resolve, uh, all the way to the end. And I decided to sing one take that said, Dear God, just remind me you don't mess up, to kind of close the song. And I felt better about it. <laughs> I felt better about singing it in public. But it is, it's a series of tough questions. Um, I believe you don't go to your best friend with tough questions expecting them to have the wrong answers, you know, and I don't feel like you go to God with these questions expecting him to not answer you. And I feel like a lot of people disassociate faith with a negative question. Um, and I think those are the questions you need to ask to know your faith. I think that's important. It's so critical. And I know that people sometimes feel brave enough to do it, but me as a conservative Catholic kid, my dad and I had to have a long, I had to have a long conversation with my dad on the way home from the first time I played that song. Um, and we had another long conversation about it recently that lasted a week. You know, I, I was just explaining to him and, and, and kind of explaining to myself, I guess, in the process, um, how important that question is and how important it is to talk about those struggles and that question of being not good enough so that you can get an answer, so that someone can call from the dark and shine a light, you know? I think, I, I don't know, man, right now I'm just on a kick of reminding people of their self-worth. Um, because to question your self-worth is to question your design and question your maker. And I, I you know, obviously I've done that. <laughs> I've done that and I've made it public in a song, but um, I've made it public so that people can do that, so that they can get an answer. Um, you were made to be exactly who you are, as hard as that is to believe, as hard as it is for me to believe right now as I'm sitting here talking to you. Um, my faults are what, what, what make me, and um, I think it's important to remind people of that. I think it's important for me to be reminded of that um, on a very consistent basis, you know? Uh, we were made to be who we are, um, whatever that means. 
I mean, that's the most validating thing in the world <laughs> as a songwriter. When somebody comes, when somebody comes up to you, a stranger, even like fans that I know, have like tattooed lyrics from Wild Blue or Tell Me or um, Dear God um, or Invisible uh, Flashlights. I've 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 drawn flashlights because people want to reference that song and those lyrics that's the most validating thing as a songwriter because you write all these songs in a vacuum <laughs> and then they basically just sit there and then you finally get to play the songs live and you have somebody that wants to you know ink themselves right permanently remind themselves of a lyric um it's not about uh, 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 i truly believe great songs aren't something that we come up with we just kind of receive them <laughs> and so hopefully you're you're open um and i i speak often that it's not a well, it's a river, and you have to just be ready to receive the river. You have to just be open to it. Um, so when that happens, I think it's just a reminder that, um, yeah, it's not about me. It's about a greater message, it's about a greater purpose. Um, and those are the moments where you, you were reminded you received it right. You opened yourself up, you made yourself vulnerable, and you spoke, and it reached and it connected. Um, so it's kind of just like, a, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm doing okay, I'm doing, I'm doing my job. <laughs> you know, I'm serving my purpose. Hunter has a heart for using his platform to raise awareness for causes that are important to him. In fact, Hunter holds the Guinness World Record for the amount of concerts played in 24 hours to raise awareness for ending childhood hunger. Hunter tells us why he feels it's important to use his influence to help others. I think there'll just be seasons where I can help one one cause more than the, another, and um, and I will. I'll do whatever I can. You have a microphone. You have a responsibility. You have an audience. You have a responsibility. And if I have an audience, if I have people that are listening, um, do good with it. <laughs> do good. I've got a, a big audience of attentive people, people who listen <laughs> and respond. Um, my fans aren't fans, they're people with megaphones and beating hearts and very, very passionate human beings. And, um, and they'll spread the word with me. Uh, we've got to do some incredible things with child hunger. And quick update, uh, when I was speaking about child hunger in the States, in our backyards, we were talking about one in, in, in five kids. We're now talking about one in four kids. So it's even more important. We've done some awesome things with child hunger, um, making people aware of that. Um, we still haven't fixed it, but we're getting, we're getting there. Uh, people are listening. I believe strongly in supporting our military families because they make an incredible sacrifice. My dad was in the military, um, and you know I've only heard about it. He was out before I was born, but I've heard stories and. Um, even on a smaller scale of hearing a story, um, it impacted me, it still impacts me, and I see what they go through, and it's a lot, so I believe in supporting them. It's still very much surprising to me that this is my job. <laughs> we were all given a fingerprint, you know, none of us are truly identical. Uh, even identical twins can be, you know, discerned by their parents. So if, if, if even that, <laughs> if even those two human beings were created to be different, um, then our approach has to be different, you know? Our approach on ourselves and our understanding on our design, our build, um, has to be, has to start with, it's unique, there's no rule book. You have to discover that. You have to go on your own path. 
Um, and I, I, to me, that just says, you know, uh, forget. Forget about measures. Start, start new on a path. Uh, forge it, find it, discover, and be adventurous, and, and uh, yeah, find your destination. That's, there, I, I believe there is no destination, really. I think it's just find your path, follow your heart, your heart will show you the path. At the end of the day, um, you know, I think that's what instilled in me. No, you should follow your passion, follow your purpose, because you were built to do something. You were made to do something important. Um, do what matters to you. To find out more about Hunter's new song, Dear God, please visit hunterhays.com. We'll be right back with more of our show after a brief message about a free offer from Jesus Calling. Want a daily reminder that we can have hope, peace, and joy each day in Jesus? Now it's as easy as opening an email. The Jesus Calling Daily Email brings you a thought from the Jesus Calling family of devotionals every day. Brighten up your inbox with this little reminder and take a minute to connect with God during your day. To sign up to get your free daily thought from Jesus Calling, please visit jesuscalling.com slash daily dash email. That's jesuscalling.com slash daily dash email. Our next guest is a member of the wildly popular Christian band Skillet and has been their drummer since she was 18 years old. Over the last 10 years, Jen Ledger has played with Skillet as they've been nominated for Grammys, sold multi-platinum records, and played live for hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. Jen trusted God as he opened doors for her career, even when she didn't believe in herself. Now she is releasing her first solo record that features a very personal song called Not Dead Yet that Jen describes as a song born from a time when she struggled with and battled internal fear and anxiety. My name is Jen Ledger. Uh, a lot of you might know me, or, or if you don't know me, I play drums for the band Skillet. I joined the band about 10 years ago. In April, I, I just released my own solo project called Ledger, where I'm singing and writing my own music for that also. My story's kind of unusual. I, As you can tell, I'm not from America. I'm actually from England. I, I came from a place called Coventry. It's like a, a small city in the middle of England. and. I grew up there kind of going through uh, like an Anglican Church of England church and I grew up with three siblings and my parents and we kind of went to church but honestly none of us really uh, like lived life with the impact of Jesus or the gospel in a real way. If you'd have asked me back then, are you a Christian? I would have been like, absolutely yes, I'm born and raised, you know. But, but it wasn't until I, I moved to America when I was 16 years old and I basically came to do a, it's called the School of Worship and it's, it's a small program for music and Bible study in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And there's, you know, only like 14 people a year on the class and I came to do that and that's when I got like born again and f like filled with the Spirit. It was honestly such a life-changing year for me. I. I think I'd never really, <laughs> it's gonna sound so foolish, but like, you know, when you just hear stories and you're so overly familiar with with Jesus loves you, he died for you, but then the difference of, oh, why is that important? What does that actually mean for me? It means that I can actually know him. He's taken my place. I'm, you know, it just, it was like everything became real to me for the first time ever. And my mind just 
it was blown that God would want to know me and, and that I could live life knowing Him. And, and I'd say that it was when I was 16 years old that I really gave my life to God and my relationship with Him changed. And that was like uh, the best year of my life. <laughs> my drumming story is actually kind of funny because I was just like a little tomboy. I wanted to I have two older brothers and one older sister and my older brothers are twins and I just thought that they were like the coolest like I used to dress like them I used to do sports I did football I did basically anything my brothers were doing I would copy them in and my brothers both started having drum lessons so sure enough guess who wanted to learn the drums <laughs> it was very much so a quest to impress my big brothers um but then actually, I, when, as I referred to earlier, I, I came over to the School of Worship when I was 16 years old. And I think just being like a teenager, um, you know how we are. We have tons of insecurities come up. Come up. We're not quite sure who we want to be. And I came onto the School of Worship and it actually made me quit the drums altogether. I'd become so insecure. I, I was around other players that could do just incredibly flashy stuff and they just lived to get home and practice and, and read about new gear and I it made me feel like whoa if this is what it means to be a drummer then I'm obviously not a drummer and it really shot my confidence and made me think this is something that I'm really weak at and and not only that at the same time I just kind of became quite insecure also on a like being in front of people. I remember I used to feel incredibly sick even uh, playing drums in front of church, which was only 200 people. But man, all morning, my tummy would be hurting and I just couldn't wait for it to be over. And uh, and so that's why even the story of me getting into Skillet was quite, it's quite funny. I'd started the second year of the School of Worship. Um, I was learning the bass because I decided that I would never play drums, you know, that old thing as a teenager. And uh, Skillet asked me to audition because I was good friends with the sisters of Corey Cooper. And basically what I didn't know is that John Cooper didn't want me to audition. He heard I was around 21 or so, and he was like, that's just way too young. And, and he'd auditioned some session musicians in Chicago that had all their own gear, years of touring experience, just professional drummers. And the idea of taking some green girl from church that's probably around 21 just seemed like too much of a hassle. However, his wife, Corey, had had a, had a girl drummer before and she'd love to have a girl in the band. So she basically made it so I could audition and he was doing it to make his wife happy. When they asked me to audition, I was just so sure I am not a good drummer that I actually said no. I was like, there's no way. Like, I can't think of anything more scary than doing that. And, uh... But I was praying about it and I really felt God speak to me clearly that he wanted me to try out for Skillet. And it was one of those things where I was so sure, 100% sure it wouldn't be to actually be a drummer because I know that's one of my like, it would be, I know it couldn't be that. I thought maybe he's going to do this to teach me humility or teach me some lifelong character lesson, but there's no way it's going to actually be to be the drummer. I know that I'm just not good at them, you know? And it's kind of like I stepped into doing this audition with a heart of like, I know I've got to be obedient to God no matter what. And I know that he's always got purpose in things, even if we don't know what it is. 
So the audition swings around. Um, I'd been working towards it. And the night before the audition, I performed my solo for my friends. But I was so nervous playing in front of two people that I couldn't do it. My hands were shaking. I couldn't hold the sticks properly. So I was, I was just super defeated, honestly. I was like, well, if I can't do it in front of these two, then then what am I thinking? But the, the audition swung around the next day and the band came in to watch me play. I played the solo. I played all the tracks they'd asked me to prepare. And it went like weirdly flawlessly. And I was like, oh, oh no, now I'm misrepresenting myself. <laughs> like they're going to think I'm this amazing drummer and I'm really not. So I secretly tried to sabotage myself in the interview afterwards. <laughs> and they were, they were asking me, so tell me a bit about yourself. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't really actually play the drums. I don't really like them. They make me nervous. They make me sick. I don't have a practice. And if I'm honest, if I don't get into this band, I don't think I'm ever going to play them again. <laughs> I was like, however, if this is something that God has for me, I will give my 100% all to it. And uh, it was just really funny because he, he asked me, so what are you going to be doing in the next two weeks? We'll have a second audition coming up and we'll fly our manager in. And uh, we were curious if, if we wanted you there, when would you be available? And, and I was like, the only day I'm busy is bloody blah because that's my birthday and I have plans. But other than that, uh, I can do whatever. And he's, he looks at me and he says, oh, you're going to be 22? And I said, oh, I'm going to be 18. And I remember his jaw just like dropping to the ground. And he stared at me and he's like, if I had a clue how old you were, I would never have let you audition. And then he asked me how long I've been playing for. And I was like, well, like four and a half years. And he was like, oh my God, like I would, if I'd have known any information about you, you would never have had this audition. And it was just amazing that it all came up after I'd already tried out and God hid the right information for the right time. And so they called me a few days later and told me um, to come over to their house. And they told me basically, hey, we're going to go with you. We need to get you a drum set. We need to get you inners and get you set up to play. And it took me 15 minutes or so to realize, oh, they're actually picking me to be their drummer. And I think because our hearts were just so similar and they knew how much I I just want to live for Jesus and I really, I don't mind where he calls me. Um, I think that they found that more, um, that mattered more to them than me being the drummer with all the experience and all, all the, you know, the gear, the everything you'd kind of want as a professional. They were willing to put that on, on hold in a way and go for this 17 year old, almost 18 year old drummer. It's so weird and cool to look back on that 10 years ago now. And, and now I'm sitting here speaking to you and toured the world with this band. And we've sung songs of hope in some of the darkest places. And it's so surreal and awesome to see what he can do if you just say yes. And I'm pretty much a really clear example of God choosing to use your weaknesses to, d to display his strength, you know. I just love how God can just glorify himself through anything and anyone. And the very thing you think you're the weakest in, or surely this will be the one thing he doesn't use in my life, ends up being the thing that he's used for 10 years all over the globe. <laughs> one of the things I kind of hate and love about my life is that God's called me to something that I'm constantly reminded how dependent I am on him. I know that naturally I am kind of timid. 
and I naturally would rather someone else do it because I don't I don't love having all the attention on me or just someone else could do it better you know that's how I always kind of tend to feel and God sort of says yeah but but with me I can you know you don't have to be afraid because everything you're afraid of like if you're afraid of failing or whatever it is, I, I am strong. You are weak, but I am strong and I can help you. And fear is the thing that always seems to come back to me. And uh, it was a few years ago that I all of a sudden started waking up in the night with but pretty much like panic attacks. It was, I've never been through anything like it. I've had, you know, the the normal feelings, I think that everyone would have experienced of feeling not good enough or feeling like this is too big, you know, too scary, have someone else do it. But this was a new thing. This was like, I'd felt like God was speaking to me about doing my own solo project for a while. And it was like, I was waking up in the night, wondering if I've not had enough faith and missed my calling. There were really weird, dark thoughts of, uh, you know, if this is who you really are and you feel this afraid at night, then, um, how could you ever think that God would want to use you? It's like the enemy was making me feel like this fear and shame was like a dirty secret. Like you can't be a person of faith and then actually wake up afraid that that's a lie. You know, it was really dark. It was really sad. And I was like waking up and it was like, honestly, kind of like a, a terror feeling. It wasn't just being afraid, you know, it was, um, very much so something that would make you feel defeated made you feel isolated and it made you feel like uh like afraid to tell someone too because it was so embarrassing like it it was just really really not a fun season and I remember um even through that though like I remember coming home and like finally talking to people and asking for help and like hey this is what's going on I've never been through anything like this and first of all one remembering that this there is a spiritual warfare and like that the enemy does want to take you out. He wants to make you feel alone and he wants he wants to stop you from ever even trying. That is his goal. You know, um that was eye opening. And then also just learning that like no one can thwart the hand of God. Like if God wanted me to not be in skillet, I wouldn't have been in skillet. If if God wanted me to be doing my solo career 5 years ago, I would have been doing it. And one of the things that really helped me was thinking of like the story of Joseph, uh, where he, you know, he was meant to be like second in command, but he went through years of prison before. And if you're sitting in a prison cell, you can't be upset at the guard, like, because God's the one that had him in the prison cell. And if God wanted him out of it, he would have been there. So I think just remembering that no one can thwart his hand, like, if you're meant to be doing something, you surely will. I think even through my fear and my um, darkest season, it was actually really awesome because God like realigned and corrected things in my heart that I didn't realize I was thinking. Like, you know, it's like he used those seasons to correct any wrong thinking that I didn't even know I had. Like, am I misunderstanding his love? Am I misunderstanding that... I feel like God showed me clearly through through my fear. He let me face some of my wrong thinking about him. And what he would say is, it's not how I use you that I show how, how I love you. Like I, my love for you alone is enough because my love alone is what defines you. Like when you stand before me, it's not what you've accomplished. It's my love for you and being found in me that that 
that is your life, you know? So there was like a strange freedom brought to me through every dark season I've been through or every low season I've been through. It's like God's brought such freedom from them. You just kind of have to be, <laughs> you have to like almost just choose to seek him in those places, you know? And, and sometimes we don't get why, why these things are going on and why these things feel so painful. But coming out the other side of it, I'm so grateful because now I feel more secure in who my God is than I ever have. I am so thankful that he has showed me clearly that it's it's not about my strength. It's not about being the best one to be picked. It's not about being the strongest. It's not about being the bravest. It's not about what I accomplish for him. It's about the fact that our living God chooses to engage with humans he doesn't choose to engage with angels to fulfill his purposes. He wants to use us. And that's so exciting. And, and the fact that he loves us alone is is a reason to be so free and happy in the morning. <laughs> I think that's the whole reason I wrote Not Dead Yet. It was just about that fight against fear. Um, it, it just kicks you when you're down. And it it reminds you of all of your disqualifications. Uh, it reminds you why you're not worthy, um, and fear will stop you from ever trying. And that's exactly what Not Dead Yet is about. It's about no matter how many times I face this, I will choose to fight it, and I won't let it stop me from ever trying. Because I'd rather try and fail than never try. I, I was reading some studies about how this generation has like the highest uh, percentage of diagnosed anxiety uh, in, in our young people and in our adults too. I'll gladly talk about this if it helps other people uh, empower them to fight and empower them to overcome. And, and even if it's just empowering them to, to not give up, like I've still got the same struggle coming back. It's two years later. I thought I'd dealt with that. And it comes back again to stop you feeling that like I should never have even tried. Like, no, no, it's, it's, it's something you might have to fight on and off for the rest of your life, but it's worth it. It is worth it. And you can be victorious. You've just got to not give up. I've received kind of a lot of messages on social media and um, people telling me how they've struggled with the same thing, whether it's anxiety or fear, things like that. I'm just like, oh, Lord, like, thank you for that season. If, if it was able to to help anyone like this, you know, and God's so sovereign and so much bigger than we know. When God speaks, it simply is. Like he breathes into dust and that is like us. That is our life. That is humankind, you know. And the fact that scripture is God breathed and it's, it's to teach us and train us and it equips us for everything. You know, I was feeling challenged like this is something I need to, to learn to make the time for. And so about four years ago, I got super serious about... Um, about the word and studying. And you know what? The more I learn and the more I learn from the word itself and the truth, um, the more I feel like I know God. Like I just feel like he has brought me so much deeper than I ever would have imagined just through Bible study, which sounds so boring and it sounds maybe obvious, you know? But man, it's been like a really, really thrilling journey. and. Jesus Calling is something Corey Cooper actually bought for me. And the thing that's so special and precious about it is it kind of removes all obstacles. <laughs> if you, you know, if you say, well, I don't have time, the thing that's so 
awesome about Jesus Calling is that it's it's not going to take you long, and all it is is that that small moment between meetings, or you know, you don't have an hour to spend in an in-depth study. You can spend a moment on Jesus Calling to refocus and and just to choose to set your mind on things above and kind of um, just readjust, you know. And what I love about Jesus Calling also is that it's beautifully written, but it's very practical. Um, it helps me to make connections between the word and how it actually applies, whether it's to my thought patterns or whether it's uh, uh, to how I actually practically live. Uh, they, they, it does a lot of the connections for you and really makes the word applicable to your life and to that very day. And that's, that's why I really love it. So here's a passage from Jesus Calling from December 21st that I kind of just thought was perfect for everything that we've talked about today and, and, and I hope that, that it will be inspiring for you guys too. So it's December 21st. My plan for your life is unfolding before you. Sometimes the road you are traveling seems blocked or it opens up so painfully slowly that you must hold yourself back. Then, when the time is right, the way before you suddenly clears, through no effort of your own. What you have longed for and worked for, I present to you freely as a pure gift. You feel awed by the ease with which I operate in the world, and you glimpse my power and my glory. Do not fear your weakness, for it is the stage on which my power and glory perform most brilliantly. As you persevere along the path I have prepared for you, depending on my strength to sustain you, expect to see miracles, and you will. I feel like this is like such a, this is the testimony of my life. There's been times where it feels like I'm stood still, but then he does the most intricate work on my heart. And then there's times where he decides it is the right time and everything falls into place with miraculous detail. Uh, it's like, wow, it, this is more and more fascinating the more I see the details that you have lined up for me. And um, it's just amazing. It's okay to step out and okay to just enjoy like stepping out with the Lord and trusting that He's with you and rejoicing in the fact that you're not the strongest or the bravest or the best. Like there is no limit to how great He is. So <laughs> let's be people that aren't afraid, aren't afraid to be brave and, and just be full of faith in Him. To find out more about Jen Ledger's new solo album, please visit ledgerband.com. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we talk with ice skater, inspirational speaker, and gold medal champion, Scott Hamilton. Scott shares about some hardships in his life and what it really means to finish first in God's eyes. I did the chemo, but there was something gnawing at me the whole time. And it, and it was, you know, I, I had to stop. And without skating, I realized that there was something inside of me that was truly empty. And um, I didn't know what that was. I just felt like I wasn't the person I, I was supposed to be or that I wanted to be. And so I just um, decided to load up my car and move, just go on an adventure. Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button.
While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.